Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of our annual raffle, and tickets are just $50, and it really helps support all the wonderful work that we're doing. If you buy a ticket today, I'll send you a personal thank you letter and a little gift. It's really easy. Just go to www.ndgraffle.com. That's ndgraffle.com. I'll be ever so grateful to you. Now let's get started. We ended off last week talking about the difference between milmata lamaila and lamaila lamata. What is the perspective of the individual? Do we look at it from our perspective looking upwards towards God? Or do we look at it from God's perspective looking downwards towards us? Now aside for us looking at a various perspective, there's also... Um, certain times of the year where there's different perspectives that, are, that, are, that we approach the world by. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Like minus 20 today. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's certain times of the year that are, we refer to different perspectives. For example, in the month of Elul, in the, before Rosh Hashanah, we prepare ourselves by taking stock of what has transpired in our lives throughout the previous year, just as every business person would take an inventory of what's transpired in the past year, we too take a personal spiritual inventory, and it's a process that lasts usually 60 days, from the beginning of Elul until after Simchat uh, Torah, there's a process of first taking inventory and then now through that process there is different inspirations there's different effects that it has on us so the holy days Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur are a time of judgment they're a serious, they're an awesome time they require us to reflect to take stock to take an inventory of the actions from the past year and what we need as far as improvements and how to implement an organized plan and avoid going through the same difficulties that we went through last year. Now, this approach of self-reflection is called teshuva, but it's completely different than the teshuva that we've been talking about until now. This teshuva is generated from within. It's initiated from within, not inspired by other people. We spoke about this idea, remember, of the Bauchuva, of having that moment of inspiration. This teshuva is not a moment of inspiration. This teshuva is something that comes from ourselves. We decide, oh, Rosh Hashanah is coming, the New Year is coming, I want to take stock. You can't say that a businessman... And his business starts taking stock. Oh, I guess an inspiration one day. You know what? This morning I'm taking stock. No, it's a process of business. Everyone who's in business does this. So this teshuva that we do is us deciding that this is what I'm going to do right now. This is what I'm going to occupy myself with right now. We call this an isarusa dilatata, which means the person who is limata, who is below, meaning here in er, on earth, which is called in, in, in Hebrew in comparison to Lamaila, above, which is called above, 
referring to Hashem, who is above and beyond all of our experience. So this particular person, who is below in this world, decides to have a, an inspiration or uh, a godly experience, and that is from below to above. It's us looking upward, trying to, to become godly. This approach is coming from within. It's very calculated, it's thought out. The other approach is called Isaruta de la Ela, which means it's an approach that's coming from God. Since God is infinite, its effect cannot be foreseen or estimated before it happens. That's why it doesn't have to take time to adjust and to prepare to go from a wilderness empty of Jewish knowledge to the peak of the Jewish experience, the yeshiva. Since it's not internally generated, you simply allow yourself to be swept away with the current, landing wherever Hashem wants in order to get your life back on track. So, another very important dimension and quality that's unique to the rational mind or the rational soul is the issue of free choice. Free choice, bichira. So first we have the difference between where it does the arousal come from? Where does the inspiration come from? Where does that excitement come from? If you have a Esrasa de Layla, do you for sure know it or could you, could you not? So there are people who have... Generally, Esrasa de Layla happens around a certain time of the year. It's going to be between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay. Okay. Well. Now, even if it manifests itself later, you're going to find people who have those experiences. So Esrasa de Layla is, according to most opinions, designated for that time of year. That's why you find people who never go to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah, uh, any other time of the year, they go for Yom Kippur. Why? Why? Oh, what? All of a sudden you decided guilt. No, there's, we believe that there's a soul, that God puts an inspiration that says, I've got to do something Jewish today. Wait, so you can ignore that. So some people can like, not be... Yeah, some people can ignore it. But does Hashem give that to everyone? Yeah. Do you find people who have these existential experiences, even if they only manifest themselves in December, yeah. you'll find that they started off. You, if you look at the, the calendar, they started off at that time of year. Either in Elul or in Tishrei. So it's the best for us because of that. We know this time and we, we plan this time as the best time for any spiritual change that we want in our life. It's, it's coming up. But people who aren't uh, in, in the uh, Galatata world, people who aren't in the day to day observance of, of Judaism, for them, the fact that it's Rosh Hashanah and Kippur may not even mean anything to them. Yeah, you, you, ever, you, you ever walk into a show on, on Rosh Hashanah, ask somebody what they're doing there? Uh-huh. What do you mean? It's Rosh Hashanah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 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 no. Are you religious? <laughs> religious. I don't know anything about religion. Mm-hmm. Ask the rabbi. It's, it's true. They, they go. For what? For what? For what? But for, for sure. them, my, the, my point is that to them, if it came in April, the Dela Ela. So what we're saying is that this it, it would, Rosh Hashanah is a, is a Rosh Hashanah Ela, and that arousal from above is real. And it inspires people 
who may not do anything Jewish their entire life to become the three time a year Jew. That's crazy. That's when it happened to me. To, I, I went to Israel first in November, but it, I first started to, thinking about going to Israel like exactly then. It was like I was talking to people in Israel and it was Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. That is, that is usually, you find, and a lot of people, if, if, if you're in tune with it, you realize it's a certain experience that happens then. But it's funny you realize that there are more people believing in Rosh Hashanah Kippur than in Israel. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, you know, I was like shocked. It's, I, you know, I, I walk up and down these streets in NDG, very secular area. Walk up and down every single day. I can tell you there's a huge difference between my walk on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the entire time of the year. I walk Rosh Hashanah to Shul. First of all, Monkland is empty. For years, I lived in the corner of Girard and Monkland. I used to walk up Monkland. Empty. And you say there's no Jews around here. Empty. Random Monday night. Empty. Yom Kippur, I'm walking to synagogue. Empty. That's number one. And number two, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Shana Tova, Shana Tova, Happy New Year. Where is this coming from? I see these people every day. They don't say one word. I don't even know I'm Jewish, nothing. They see me. They know who I am. Where is it coming from? I can tell you there's a huge difference. And you want to say it's coincidence. You want to say it's tradition. You want to say, I'm saying that it's Kabbalistic. It's something that comes from God. And that we have an arousal that comes from God this time of year. And if we're in tune with it, it's a very powerful, very spiritual experience. But the Dalai could also come at any point. Possibly. Possibly. But it's... it's it, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, but 10 days are opportune times for it. Okay. And Hashem gives that opportunity to everyone. To everyone. Amazing. To everyone. Then we get into this idea of Bechira, of free choice. When we say that we have the freedom to exercise our will to do what's right or what's wrong, which part of our soul are we talking about? When we have a, the ability to exercise free choice. The part of us that wants to be godly and Jewish, which is called the Nefesh Elokit. It's, it's preset and it's forced to act in a godly way. Because the only language it knows is God. <clears throat> it's, it's a piece of God. Look, if you only had a Nefesh Elokit, you'd be basically an angel. So we have the angel within us. We have that, that soul within us, a piece of God, direct connection. Yet we have a lot of other things that are more natural to us. It's not natural to us. It's, it's somewhat removed from us. So from its perspective, from the godly soul's perspective, there's no true choice in doing God's will. The animal soul is also predetermined as far as choice. It desires mundane. It desires instinct. It desires to be in this world and to live it up in this world. So it's also forced in a way. It's forced. Its nature is to act like an animal. So because its nature is to act like an animal, it doesn't have true free will. So the animal soul doesn't have true free will. The divine soul is also forced. So how do we have free will? 
When it says that we have free will, what is being addressed is the, the rational mind. Because the divine soul is predisposed to be godly. It's a piece of God, of course. It doesn't know anything else besides God. The animal soul is predisposed to be an animal. It doesn't know anything else besides the fact that it wants to eat, sleep, and whatever. So, Kabbalah says, or the author ever writes in Tanya that it's taking over what's called the small city. And the small city, which is us, who we are, is the rational mind, which is impartial as to any particular and emotional behavior. It's us. I know, but where is it? Like, when the, the soul is here, the, the godly soul is in the brain. The rational brain. mind is in the brain. In the brain, too? It's in the brain. It's the corporal part of the brain. So, so the rational soul is the one exercising the free choice. That's right. If we had no rational soul, we wouldn't have free choice because the other two souls are predisposed. Are they They're predisposed. They're if we just had an animal soul, we'd be animals. If we just had a godly soul, we'd be angels. If we just had both of them, they'd be fighting the whole time. There needs to be some kind of uh, mediator in the middle, so to speak, where the rational mind we can use either for, well, the rational mind can be a vehicle for the instinct, it can be a vehicle for the animal, or it could be a vehicle for the godly. The, the nefesh asichlit is seichel, it's intelligence. It has the capacity to make a true choice that is free from any preconceived notions of what is right and wrong. It has the ability to truly, cho- to truly choose. It could become a scientist or it could become a rabbi. The scientist and the rabbi, as an example, are really good, are, are really good ways of explaining how you can go. You can really justify everything according to science and you can say, well, you know, and live in a world of science or you can justify everything according to God and live in a world of God so we see that a struggle is going on what's the struggle? the struggle is what Tanya calls the battle over the city the small city the godly soul tries to get the rational soul to rise above the world while the animal soul tries to get it to justify its desires and lusts. Sorry. No problem. But, okay, so you're, you're, you're seeing here the, uh, the bringing of the rational source can be completely devoid of any good and bad thing of itself. It's, it's it neutral. It's neutral. It's it can neutral. rationalize God or it can rationalize, <laughs> so to a certain extent, or it can rationalize the instinct. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So what's at stake here? That's the question. What's at stake Is there not something in the perfection of the rational soul in and of itself, okay, that can help in, in, uh, in, in incorporating the godly soul? For example, people whose rational faculties are not very developed, okay, are easily prone to a lot of things. They'll come up with... They'll... They'll come up with contradictions with themselves. They'll, they, they can be very easily swayed one way or another. Yes. Right? Okay. So, so there's something in the rational soul 
that is um, well, inherently godly. The rational soul has to be developed. Yeah. But it could be Well, the, when, we're, when we're children, most of us is instinct. An, an infant, you can't say there's any rational mind or rational soul in the, in the infant. Uh, a toddler, eh, very, very little. A, a, a child, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can, you can start talking to a child about godly things, but, I mean, talk to a stories. six-year-old about, yeah, stories. But it's still a lot of instinct. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you're talking about spiritual things and sees candy, 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 candy. So, a 10-year-old, yeah, 10-year-old, you're already starting. You can have a, a real conversation with them. You can talk about spiritual things. Still candy, 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 but uh, uh, a little more. What is bar and bat mitzvah? What's that celebration? We celebrate the completion of the divine soul within the child. And why after the age of 13? Because that is when the Torah says that at the age of 13 or 12 for a, a, a young woman, is that the, the divine soul is complete, the godly soul is complete within the, within the person. So we celebrate that. Now we say to the child, you truly have free choice. I'm not responsible for your spirituality or your spiritual actions anymore. Because right now, you have free choice. Now, before, you didn't have free choice. We're talking about spirituality, candy, 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 candy. But as he says, maybe someone who's sick and cannot no, so, realize this is, you know. So that's, what, so, so, so that's what I wanted to bring out with this, is that it could be somebody doesn't grow up. It could be somebody's 40 years old and they're still 10, or they're still five, or they're even still two. It could be. You know, what, what, I'm, what I'm interested in this, okay, this idea, I read in Maimonides, that to him there, there's, there's different steps. To okay. Closer to God. Yes. And he says, before you do the leap into metaphysics and into what he calls, by the way, takes a lot of risks, Maimonides. He calls these speculative matters. Right, speculative matters, yes. Okay. So before you do that, you have to have gone through a stage of apprehending the real world. You have to have gone through a stage of natural education, okay? And rational education. You have to go. It's only through, and he says, we all know that the perfection of that also uh, perfects your moral character. Think about it. If you want to be able to uh, analyze anything rationally and logically, okay, you have to have integrity. You can't just hide. You have to have honesty. You have to, in order to really embark in science, just pure materialistic science, okay? You have to uh, have some openness. You have to consider the evidence. You have to you can't hide things. So he says, already through that process of developing your, the natural side, you're developing also ethical qualities. Okay? Of course. At age of 13, can you be really taking consideration all the elements? No, no, well, he's saying the godly soul at 13, right? But the, maybe like the rational mind maybe continues after that developing, right? No, but the, the, the godly soul also develops. And believe me, yeah. We all know the animal develops as well in a lot of other ways. I mean, what you desired when you were 10 is not what you desire. When you're 50, there's no question. But, but my, my point is this. My point is that I think there's a lot of risks in, you know, when we talk about the souls like this, okay? There's a lot of risks in um, 
the whole predisposition of diving into the godly soul right away. I think there's a lot of risks in that approach. Okay, so what, what if I play the opposite? Yeah. And I'd say there's a lot of risks in diving into the instinct and oh, yeah, the, God, and the animal yes, right away. I, I agree. I think there's a lot more risk. No, no, I agree there's a lot that. more risk in diving into the animal than there is in diving into the of godly. Course, of course, but I think that there, there's risks that can be uh, that can be confused in, in that the risks of diving into the animal soul we all agree. Okay, the risks of diving into the godly soul I think it's a tougher one because it's it's held out as elevated. So people think. By, 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 by jumping to, without going through this intervening step of developing your rational faculties, okay? Going straight into like what you interpret as being the godly. I think there's risks of, 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 of different types of rationalizations also kicking in that aren't necessarily. So when I read Maimonides and I see that there, there, there's those steps, okay? It's designed to, and he says, if you haven't done those steps, then when you do that leap, you can't really get closer to God. You need that, 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 that training, right? And, I mean, again, I see a lot of people, like, going, we talked about the, uh, the cliche of the, uh, the, the, the young Moroccan person who's in right. the clubs, and then overnight becomes Bayat Teshuvah, and he's the most religious guy, and... And what he has to be only Moroccan Ashkenaz as well? No, no, no. We, we, we were just—it's a, a cliche <laughs> in the Moroccan. We were using it. I grew up in the Moroccan. I grew up in the Moroccan community, and I, I personally know at least thirty of these people. Okay, okay. but, so but it's, a, it's, a, so it's a coincidence. You're right. So the Rebbe, the Rebbe spoke about this. Uh-huh. The Rebbe it's said, "It's a big coincidence." <laughs> because let me tell you, when I was in Israel uh, festival movie. Uh, Ashkenazi have other problems. No, no, no. There is a lot of drugs and everything. There is a lot in Ashkenazi also. Yeah, yeah but you, me. yeah, of course, of course, of the, course. The Rebbe spoke about this, and the Rebbe, the Rebbe compared it to a fire that's burning. The Rebbe said, when the fire is burning, you don't ask questions. You just go and save the people. And that it could be you're right. It could be that there's a lot of risks, and you're right. You're, you're analyzing it, and you're very easy. You're 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 a great Monday morning quarterback. Where you're, you know, after the game, you can, you can, you can decide all of the great things that they were, the players were supposed to do. But the reality is that when it comes to spirituality in our world today, the Rebbe compared it to the fire that's burning. And that we shouldn't start calculating on spirituality because at the end of the day, that people need it more than anything else. It could be, it's, you're right, it could be, and I see it a lot. And obviously, in my position as a rabbi... It's my place, and, and, and for those who are, who are around me and they ask my counsel with regards to spiritual matters, they know that I'm very, very careful. Where a lot of other rabbis would be very excited. Do more, do more. You know, I, I know a lot of rabbis who these people come in and, and, and 20 minutes later they're wearing a black hat and they're, they're, they're sporting a beard that's, you know, and they're going full on. Wonderful, beautiful. But I care and something that I put a tremendous effort on is that what's on the inside. Are you ready for that? Mm-hmm. That the inside and the outside should always pre, be, be together. Look, there's people in particular situations and they'll say, I want to move, I want to do this, I want to do that. Let the two meet. Because if not, there's a complete imbalance and eventually if you're going to have an imbalance, it's going to get balanced out in other ways. So, and you're right, I see a lot of people who they become really, 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 really religious and all of a sudden they're starting to go the opposite way. I meet a lot of people in Montreal more than any other city I've lived in who 
were religious at one point in their life. Who were very religious, who went to yeshiva at one point in their life. I see so many people like that. And so I think that having conversations with those people, and I, and I think to myself, there's a guy that I know very well who spent six, seven years very steeply in the religious community. He's not religious anymore. And I've had many conversations with him. You talked about the same person, I think? No, 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 no. Okay. No. And he said to me not long ago, he said the truth is, and that he had done this 20 years ago, he said, if you were my rabbi at the time, I think I'd probably still be religious. Hmm. said that he wasn't getting the right advice. Because you know what the difference is? I, I like the analogy of the city because the purpose is for the godly soul to take over the rational, to go to the rational soul and, and use the rational soul too. Because the rational soul is a big part to your daily thoughts. It's, it's, it's your own process, right? It, it, it touches you very deeply. It's not to um, turn off the rational soul. Right. Right? It's not to turn it off. Well, a lot of people who dive into religion head first, no. eyes closed, they're now, there's, there's a lot of people. To turn off the there's a lot of people who would debate me on it. There's a lot of people who debate me on it because they'll say, "Oh, but you know, you don't push hard enough. You don't help people. You're not. You're not. You're not stronger about." It. I said, but "The point is, is that I didn't decide. I didn't. I didn't wake up one day and said, you, Bob, you should be religious.' I, I didn't decide that. You decided that. So my job is to support your decisions." Whatever decisions you make in your life, my job as a spiritual leader is to support them. It's not to, yes, there, there's this, I, I can counsel, but that, that, that where there's this idea, and, and I think it draws the same parallel that, that you're talking about, where this idea that we need to try to push the godly soul without bringing in the rational soul mm. at all. It's a huge risk. It's a huge risk because it's gonna fall flat in its face. The same way people who spend their entire day in the casino or, or, or they spend their whole day giving in to their animal, eventually they fall flat on their face also. So there, there's two extremes. There's the, the godly extreme and there's the, 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 so what, there needs to be a balance. Yes, the Isarusa de la happened. Yes, that, that arousal from above happened. But there needs to be that balance. You, you know, Rabbi, I, I think it's more than, than, than about, you know, I'm going to take another concept we talked about, like making a place for God. Like God wanted, wanted a dwelling place in this world, right? God wanted, wanted a dwelling place in this world. Right. We create this beautiful metaphor. But you know, the godly, the pure godly, is godly independent of me. I can walk out of the street and be hit by a car and the godly will be the godly. Right. And it'll still exist. So look at this. Of course, completely independent of me, right? Right. But for the godly, to make, to find a dwelling place in this world, the godly has to come in and interact with me. And, and this is where I see the, 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 the role of the rational mind, is that with the rational mind, with right. the logic, it could actually penetrate the way I think. But, but you have to be careful. You have to be careful. Of course I have to because, be careful. Because the, the scientist is constantly wanting to turn the godly into the science. It's not the science of godliness. It's godliness that's above you, that's beyond. And as a result, it's the godly that's trying to influence and take over the, the rational mind. It's very, very easy to say, this is science and this is Judaism. 
And they're both studies of a particular whatever. See, that's not what it's about. The difference between spirituality, and I'm using science as an example, is that spirituality is a Rusa de la Ela. It's a from above to below. And science is from below to above. And what we want to be is you want to be an above first, right? You can decide. Okay, what am I going to look at? I'm going to look at uh, uh, a particular organism and I'm going to say there's uh, protons and neutrons and subatomic particles and sub, 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 sub. And I can go as far as I can until I get the little minutest, minutest little organism possible, right? Or I can say, look, there's a God and God created the little, little organism. Let's move our way up from there. It's a different perspective. Of course. And but I think you're also using your rational faculties when you're, when you're saying You're that. using your rational faculties, but the question is, are you starting off from a godly perspective or are you starting off from a animalistic perspective? Again, but what you're not doing, you're not saying, this is just what's written, this is what we believe. You're also using, you, you, you are... It has to be. It's very important. You know, we were talking about it earlier. It's very, very important that you use your rational mind, which means don't just say, oh God, God, God is amazing. And a lot of people do that. What do you mean? You know, there's a lot of kids today who were raised religious who end up going off. Why? Because they asked their parents a question. I don't know. God said. No, no, no. That's not the answer. Sit and learn Torah. It's all in the book. It's not a secret. All you have to do is take the time and sit and study it. And you're going to find there's answers and, and reasoning to everything. And you don't have to go and start saying, because God said. That's not an answer. But it's, it's, the, it's the short, long way. It's super, it's super long. Is that the right one? It's the short, long way? It's the long, short way. It's the long, short, it's the way, long, short way. The short, long way is just say God. Like, it's, it's, it's really hard. Like, that's why no one does it. I think that's why... Yeah, but then we're, we're missing the whole point. We're missing the whole point. I understand. I'm just saying, like, like of course, those people that just jump into relig like religion, then they're going to grow up. Because you can't do it. Like, it... it you can't sustain yourself on jumping into religion. You can sustain right. yourself for at tops. It's like a, it's like a honeymoon, eighteen months. But in a, in a, in it could be the, real, the way around. Like for example, I have to mention his name, Abi. Like he. Yeah, but it's because it, the, the, there's reasons for that. There's reasons for that. You know, if you're if you're very often people that are raised in those very religious societies, they, they get to a point where they start asking questions and they don't get answers. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not the only reason. There's a lot of other reasons for it, okay? Well, but the fact of the matter is, is that that's the reason why we're sitting here studying this. We're not sitting here studying this because we have nothing else better to do on a Wednesday morning. We're studying this because Hashem said that it's wonderful if you have belief, it's wonderful if you have faith. But we all know that here we are, I think class 12, who we are today compared to who we were class one, it's different. We have a different understanding. We, we already can see a very different perspective. There's a philosophical change inside our head as a result of these concepts that we're studying. Do you know why? Why? Because we're doing the battle for the city. That's why. That's right. Because we are trying yeah. to hijack the rational soul, actually, with... with with concepts that don't come from your instincts, you're trying to hijack it, you're trying to, yes, you're trying to control it, and then if you don't do that, if you don't fight the battle, right, which is that's what it is, God said, God said, God said, it's written in the book, shut up, just follow, okay? 
you would be violating which uh, which part of our when God told us about the Torah, we said Nasi Vinishma. There's two ways of, of, of reading that. Number That's one right. is just do and then you'll understand. The other one is Nasi Vinishma and we'll under, we'll, we'll listen no, and to then, it. But exactly what you're saying. We do, and we don't ask questions. Yeah. That's true. And then we have huh. to understand. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't seem. But that's not. a great example. Nasa Vinishma is a great example of. So you have the the pure faith. We're coming from God. Interesting how people interpret that Nasa yeah. Vinishma. I interpret it as you have to also listen. It's not just about. It's two. very exciting. It's very exciting to build a house. It's very exciting. Very exciting to 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 start talking about opening a synagogue. It's not as exciting to talk about sustaining the synagogue. Mm. <laughs> it's not as exciting to talk about the, the electric bills and the gas bills and, the, and the whatever else is going on, mm-hmm. right? So in our lives, we have that as well. It's very exciting to talk about this great inspiration. Yes. But the fact is that if you want to have a spiritual experience, you have to be able to sustain that. Mm-hmm. And to sustain that, you need to be able to talk about sustainability. Sustainability is studying Torah. And I'll tell you even a f- step further. The entire reason why the Jewish people exist today, and where are the Babylonians, and where are the Romans, and where are the Greeks, and, and where are all these great societies talking about empires, empires that controlled and ruled the world. Where are they today? You ever walk down the street and you ask somebody, where are you from? I'm from Babylonia. Doesn't happen. What happened to one of the greatest empires in, in history? Where there's nothing, there's no Babylon, there's no Babylonian, there's no one who says, I'm an ancestor of a Babylonian. There's no one who's, you don't even, you can't even find that in your DNA. You go do DNA tests, you can't say I'm 1% Babylonian. It doesn't exist, it's gone, extinct from the world. One of the greatest empires in history. But the Jews were there. We saw it all, and we lived through it all. And what's the secret? The secret is the Torah. We always looked at the spiritual sustenance and not at the physical sustenance. It wasn't our land. We love Israel. It's very special. It's in our heart. It's near and dear to us. There's no question. But we lived two and a half thousand years without it, and we were still Jews. Roaming and wandering. And the reason why is because even though we love the land, we're not 100% defined by the land. We're not even, we're 0% defined by the land. The land is beautiful, it's our homeland, it's very important to us. But it's the Torah that defines us. And that is why we spend so much time focusing on the Torah, focusing on educating ourselves. We have incredible studies like the Talmud. I mean, it's unbelievable to think about the Talmud as 3,000 years old. Tell me, tell me, whoever sits down to, to, in university and the professor opens up a book and says, I want to tell you, students, the book that I'm teaching you from is 3,000 years old. Mm-hmm. Well, which professor can say that? They, they, maybe they'll quote uh, Aristotle or they'll quote uh, some, some ancient uh, mythologies. It's like the Tunic Israel. They do believe in Torah, in Talmud and everything, but not even in the land of Israel. No, it's not that they don't believe. That, that, that's a different story as far as people who don't believe in the land of Israel. There, there are particular factions that when the state of Israel was founded, they were not happy with the philosophies of the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel. They didn't like that. It, they felt that a Jewish state should be founded on the principles of the Torah. Whereas many of the founding fathers of the Jewish state believed that God had forsaken us and that it's our responsibility to put in our, in our own hands. So, and, they were, and they were more secular 
And, and you see there's a lot of secular principles that guide the state of Israel. I'm not saying right or wrong. It is what it is. But a lot of the very religious people felt that if it's a Jewish state, it should be based on the guiding principles of the Torah. So that was, that's the debate. Okay. That was a debate. It's still an ongoing debate. It's going to be an ongoing debate for a long time because there's a lot of situations that keep on rising up. One of the biggest issues where a lot of the rabbis spoke strongly was the Miyuhudi issue in the 70s, who was a Jew when they started accepting particular peoples for whatever, whatever, whatever it was before Russia. There was other, there was other issues. Where they, they started accepting peoples and they, the question was, and there was the rabbis, the rabbi also spoke very strongly about, about, about that. I mean, the, the Jewish people throughout history have spent so much energy and time defining who is a Jew. And to decide, you know, in 1972 that you're going to redefine it is a very, very big statement based on political reasons, for political reasons. See, that's one of the biggest issues that a lot of the rabbis have is that when polo- the politics are defining the future of Judaism instead of, instead of Judaism and the people who are representing it, it's a big problem. We've always had Moses. We never had politicians. We always had great rabbis and they, leaders. They also, some of these religious factions are also very active politically. Again, but it's 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 become yeah. political instead of political instead of philosophical. Everything's politicized in Israel. Yeah, right? unfortunately. unfortunately, everything. So, but, but it's 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 like it's like if it wasn't for even if, if we're if we're leaning on the religious side of seeing what the purpose is and the identity of the Jewish people and how all of that, if we can be very very uh, accepting of that, we can also accept that without the secular arm of Judaism, uh, the state wouldn't have likely been created without the work and the toil and the perspective of these people. No one, no one's so who's to say that that's not an instrument of God as well? No, I, I'm not debating that. Right. I'm just making, I mean, she asked that, about yeah, that, yeah. so I just made a statement to, under, to give, you that, know. That's what I would like to ask these people. It's that how do you know how God executes, like, how do you know that that's not an instrument of God also? The way that the plan... Yeah. It started with people who were... Everything is an instrument of God. That's not a question. No, but, I mean, you know... At the end of the day, you have, to, de- you have, to, def- you have to decide... No, that's not the distinction they're making. They're just, like, they're not keeping Shemitah years. They're not, like, they're doing things that don't, they're not, that don't agree with the Torah. They can't, they can't accept that. No, but they make the distinction between secular and religious, and they say that they founded a secular state of Israel that I'm not going to recognize. I don't, I don't give that state legitimacy. Okay, so they make that distinction, and it's that distinction that I, that I would, I would, I would argue it, and I would say. Yet they're they're still, they're living there and and yeah, and, living and from exactly. it. Exactly, and you have the freedom to follow the Torah there, and, and yeah. you didn't have that, you know, uh, you know, hundred years ago. It's it's all I don't know. I, I don't I don't know, I don't I don't agree with that philosophy myself. Right. Like, and we also know there's a lot of religious factions who are hardcore Zionists, right? So and a lot of them don't live in Israel. Like so, some people here, they they're against the state of Israel, mm-hmm. like all the Babas and all the Sakmars. Yeah, the Sakmars. Yeah, they don't all live in Israel. The, the, no, the problem not. the problem is, and and I spoke about this recently quite a bit, is that everything in life is a potential slippery slope. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. You want to not believe in the state of Israel? You want to believe the state of Israel needed to be founded on religious values? Perfect. Do whatever you want. But what does that have to do with kissing Ahmadinejad? Like, how do you, how do you constitute yeah. what is the enemy of my enemy, my friend? I don't really understand that. What, like, they want the state of Israel to be destroyed? Like, I, don't, I just don't understand why you're going and picketing with the, with the Arabs who have a whole different philosophy. 
just because you don't want the state of Israel to exist because it wasn't founded on religious values. I, That's where it's a slippery slope. You have to be so yes. careful. And that is why we, the rational mind can justify anything in the name of anything. And so we, back to our, our conversation here, have to spend a lot of time and make sure that we're educated, properly educated. Properly educated. And, and, and know and, and understand and be clear about what perspective we're looking at the world from. I, I think for a lot of these people, the way they feel is they, they feel that they, they feel excluded from how the state of Israel was founded, how it's living, how it's, they feel excluded. They feel they should be the ones to define it. And so therefore, they feel that if the state of Israel went through crisis or destruction, there would be an opportunity for them to realize their vision. Absolutely. I, I think that's how they feel. But it's very dangerous to it's, exercise but, your logic. But anything can be justified in the name of anything. Right. So we have to be very careful. And that is why we, we spend so much time educating our children. Mm. And we put a tremendous value on that. So let's go back to this idea. What's at stake here? What is the aim of the battle over the small city? The aim is to conquer the human rational soul. That's the aim. The human rational soul is the only place that free choice exists. The intelligence can come to appreciate that there's something beyond or can choose to justify the animal soul's desires which say that the body and material things are more important. That's the general picture. The battle between the godly soul and the animal soul to dominate the rational soul. That's essentially what it is. Now, we can understand now that the primary job that we have in this world is to harness the rational soul in the direction that is godly. Kabbalah, and specifically the Alter Rebbe, which is the Chabad philosophy, provides the tools and the information to properly accomplish this very important task. So therefore, what we're gonna do in our studies, and as we continue, you're gonna see that we're gonna incorporate the human mind in relating to God because it's the mind that is of key importance in really and truly being a servant of God. If the mind lacks commitment, even though the godly soul is on fire with the love and the passion for God, the person as a rational human being living in this world is not going to be in love with him. And as a result, it's not going to be sustained. The, the, the fire... The fire... The fire and the love can only sustain you for so much. It can sustain you for as long as the honeymoon. And that's why if you, if you have, we don't see love as a, an important ingredient in a long-lasting, sustainable relationship. Mm. But do you, do, do you, yes. see, you see the value of it as a starting point or would you rather it not even be a starting point? No, I, I think that it's amazing. I think it's an yeah. amazing thing. I do think that people, uh, that before they get married, they should have a honeymoon stage. They should be in love. They should be oozy doozy and, 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 and say, oh, it's perfect. Everything's one. You have to go through that stage of life. Okay. And the same thing with God. You have to go to that stage of life. But don't, no, if you latch onto it, you're latching on to, to essentially something that's not going to sustain you. Right. 
It's a it, big it's, problem because, and you have to find ways to rekindle it too for a moment. Constantly, right? but, constantly, constantly rekindling it. But, but constantly. the problem is that if you think that if, if your ideal is that this state should be the sustaining state, you are always going to think there's something wrong. Yeah. You're always going to think there's something wrong. Yeah. Right? I mean, God left me or we're no longer in love or whatever. But you that's that's if you have it incorporated into the rational right in, in, in what happens we were in love now we're not in love i i get it all the time you know i have couples that are married uh, you know six seven months and they start having big fights and they're like that's it we got to get divorced now mm. i can't handle it go home <laughs> what do you whoa, 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 relax what, what you think it was all about love right. and, and and you think that love means no fights or did you think it was all about happiness right well, I don't understand. What, what were you expecting to, for this to happen? All of a sudden, couples don't fight. If couples fight, it's wrong. No, it's the most beautiful thing. Couples need to fight. It's the only way you grow and you become closer. It's the only way you get to know each other. Really. Same thing with Hashem. Same thing with Hashem. But, but it's also, it's also the, 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 the perverse effects of this idea of happiness. Of the ideal of happiness. It's like, I'm, I have, I was, I'm not happy for the last two weeks. It's over. This relationship is over. Yeah. This relationship is not making me happy. It's not make, It's not fulfilling I'm my needs. Happy right now. It's, that is totally Three animalistic. Days, I can discard. That's it. totally totally animalistic. Yeah. And it's the same thing with God, by the way. That Balik Teshuvah who comes in right after he's on his uh, drug-soaked uh, journey of hedonism and dives into God with intensity, with an elevation, with whatever. Okay, perfect. That's going to sustain you for few months, okay, let's say. 18 months tops. The best case scenario. Yeah. And then, when that feeling, that intensity is no longer there, you don't have a house for God. You don't. These people go back into darkness after that. I know, I've seen it. And what, they end up, what it ends up being is that they, they just um, vacillate a little bit, like, a because little bit further away from religion. You don't leave your past life behind. It's not like you'd make a change in your life and all of a sudden your past life didn't exist anymore. You have to choose what you allow to bring to the forefront. I mean, you don't have to bring every single sin that you ever did in your, in, in your life to the forefront of, of your consciousness. But at the same time, you can't ignore the fact that this is who you were and this is where you came from. And it's a big, big balance. And I, I'll tell you, as a rabbi, I have to be very, very careful because I obviously deal with this and quite a bit. And I have to be very, very careful with... The, the elements that I focus on and the elements that I don't focus on. I get questions all the time from people. And sometimes the people who ask me those questions, they'll see that I put a lot of emphasis on a particular issue or I don't put emphasis on a particular issue. And there's a reason for that. It's not just because I decided that today I'm going to put emphasis on it. There's certain things that need to come to the forefront and there's certain things that don't need to come to the forefront. And, 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 and then there's also... An addict is an addict for example. So if you're addicted to God, or you're addicted to drugs, or you're addicted to alcohol, it's still an addict behavior. The and you have The psychological, and, and definitely addicted to God is better than addicted to alcohol. There's no question about it. But if you're addicted to God, you need a little rehab also. <laughs> a different kind of rehab. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and then it, it, becomes, it becomes very easy to look at people who are addicted to God in, in multiple different places on earth, in different religions at different times, that have eventually gone into extremely destructive behavior. It's not very hard to it's, find it's, the dark side of people who believe in God with no rational um, uh, buffer between the two. I'll give you a little uh, 
patterns of behavior, okay? You, have, you behave a certain way, you don't know. Some people they just go to clubs like three times a week, they have no choice, that's how, that's how they live. And those patterns of behavior create blind spots, areas we can't see things anymore. We only see what's in front of us, okay? And so we end up living an unthinking life based on the execution of a certain perspective. This is, by the way, the problem with idolatry. This is exactly the problem with idolatry. Absolutely. Right? Is that we worship what we see. We worship what we see. Right? We, everything we don't see doesn't exist. One of the most greatest notions that we mentioned here was in one of the classes. You said the notion of tangibility. So, so great, this idea of tangibility. Things that we don't know might be tangible. Wow. It's a huge, I, I think that was probably Abraham, like one of Abraham's like realizations. It's an unbelievable realization in 2018, that idea. But for most people, you only worship what you see, right? And so you stop thinking. You just, you're hijacked by these automatic systems. And to these people's defense, they get sometimes a, an inspiration from above or something that shatters what they see. They realize that what they see was an illusion. It was fake. It was not real. It was a not allowing reality to come in. And so they, this, this is what they do. So this is the reason why they need a radical change. They need to say, no, no, I need to take all of this, throw it in the garbage, and I need to replace that. But what's the problem when they dive into something else? Is they replace one unthinking execution, worship what I see, for another unthinking, worship what I see, execution only. And this, it's going to help them because they're, initially they're integrating some elements that were not part of their initial perspective. So it's going to help them for some time. But the basic thought process of, this is what I call idolatry, is still there. They're still, in a sense, idolatrous. There are levels of you know, exactly. which is Which is why I think, which is why I think that the most important <sighs> thing that this kind of person needs to study before they even study Jewish law, halacha, Talmud, is they have to study this. Mm. They must study this because they have to get out of that state of, of unconscious, uh, just accepting of, you know, and, and it's their nature, it's their nature. I, there's, there's one, there's a concept we haven't spoken about yet and, and we're gonna speak about it in a couple of weeks. This idea, we're gonna delve into this quite a bit, actually. This idea of iskafia and isabcha. Iskafia is removing yourself from something and the sabcha is transforming it. It's the big problem with most diets, right? Well, the moment you take something out of your life, you have to replace it with something else. But, but you know what he was talking about, and I, and I saw it with my niece in Israel. She went, she lived in a, in a religious family and suddenly her mind went cuckoo and she went to live to in Sfat for three years. Mm -hmm. She became something unbelievable. She married a very religious man. And after three years, Done. I had enough. I don't want any more. Wow. Because it needs to sustain. You she have divorced, quit. really? She divorced. She quit. Wow. No more. Yeah. I saw that also in front of my exact same story. It's very common. And she... It's more common than the opposite way around. Was she, was she Moroccan? She People who get into it and they sustain it. And by the way, I'm not generalizing. I'm not going to generalize. I'm not going to say most Baltruvas make it. You see it. You know where you see it most. It's interesting. Where you see it most 
if, if it's seen in their children, mm. in the children of the Bali Chuva. Because you, you can hide from the world, but you can't hide from your kids. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you see it, so yeah, so I'm not gonna generalize by saying most don't make it. I think a lot don't make it yeah. for various reasons. And a lot of it has to do, and I, and I really, I, I blame it on myself. I don't mean myself, but the people that are, that are mentoring and leading these it's people. What? It's not all their Yeah, it's just they're, they're sometimes getting the wrong advice and the wrong guidance. And, and they're, they're... But that's Hashem who wanted it still. You know, I think about this a lot. And it's a very, very... And I'm using the word again, slippery slope. I think about this a lot. Is it Hashem who wanted it? Which means when, when it says that if you go and you ask and say that you're the particular mentor or rabbi, someone you ask them for advice and guidance... We believe that Hashem puts a divine inspiration within their mind. Nothing to do. It's not that I have divine inspiration. It's that for you, right. it's divine inspiration. So, hold on a second. That's beautiful. That's your perspective. And that's from, that's Lamata Lamaila. Now, I'm going to talk about Lamaila Lamata, different kind of Lamaila, different kind of above to below. But from the mentor to the mentee. So, if I'm a mentor, what is my responsibility towards the mentee? Do I just spew out whatever I want to spew out? Because Hashem, Hashem is putting, I mean, Hashem put, is putting the words in my mouth anyway. How for you? You have no responsibility. No. Of course I have full responsibility of it. From the, the mentee needs to believe that what I'm saying comes from Hashem and it's true. It's true. But, what are, what are but it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm really saying what comes from Hashem. But even if you don't. Exactly. Yeah, but even if you don't, Hashem still made that that person didn't like gave the wrong wrong message to, to the mentee. No, because that, that's the problem, Yana. The problem is that when we say that, it, this is exactly the premature leap into the godly. Okay, the premature leap into the godly. What happens is that is that you were it's it's it, it, it's 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 a device through which we can we can. Expropriate our responsibility. You can justify anything in the name of anything, and that's where it becomes no, very, very. Our job is to be responsible. Our job is to be fully invested in in, 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 in everything that we live in our lives. We can't just expropriate and say, "Yeah, you know what?" I don't understand what you're saying. You understand? Well, like, I'll give you an example. No, I, I can just listen. I, I can live in a way. Where I just exercise it. Let's take an extreme example. Le- no, no. Let me, we, yes. let me, let me, let me make it more simple. I'm going to make it more simple for you. The, there's a lot of there's a lot of rabbis. I'm not judging. I'm just making a statement. There's a lot of rabbis who say something and don't live it. <coughs> it's very hard for somebody who is on a spiritual awakening to see that and say, "What, what the flipping heck are you talking to me like?" Well, well, you don't even you don't even believe half of what you say. I can I can feel because they have a certain sensitivity towards spirituality. They can feel the rabbis uh, spewing garbage. They're not authentic in, in, in that. And there's a lot of people today, even young people today, who are not even religious. Who they, they did an amazing study. There's a guy named Jack Wertheimer who does studies for the Federation of Jewish Federation of North Americas. And he did a study. He's tried. He was trying. One of the things he was trying to understand is how Chabad became so popular. It was interesting. Yeah. Like the Reform movement in the 50s and 60s was the mainstay of Judaism. Today, the biggest, organi- biggest Jewish organization in America is Chabad. So what happened? Why are young people, by and large, going for Chabad compared to reform? Reform seems to be so much better and more in line with their value system. Mm-hmm. And what young people are saying today 
is that I don't do very much Jewish. But when I do Jewish, I want it to be the real thing. And that is the authenticity is winning over the, the, the values, which means it could be that personally in my life, reform is more in line with my personal value system, but, but I'm not looking for my own value system. Yeah. I'm looking for the authenticity. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying those so people, authenticity those people hate, yeah. is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to trump, no pun intended, anything else. And that's very, very important. So there, and, and, and the job of the mentor is to be truly authentic. And that's why often people, people there was a, I said something, uh, I, often in my sermons on Saturday, I talk about my personal struggles. And a lot of people who are regulars here really enjoy that. They enjoy listening to that. And there's somebody, let's say it was a guest, and he said to me, he really didn't appreciate that. He, he says, he really didn't, why are you telling me about your personal struggles? He said, because I'm, I'm real, I'm a real person. I'm not a god, you know, I'm a real person. I have personal struggles. And I think that people, if I'm gonna guide and, and influence people, people should be able to learn from my personal struggles also. And obviously my personal struggles have been more developed because I've been learning and studying this more, longer and, 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 and for more hours than the average person who's listening. So I, I think that it's a, it's a, a very interesting thing. So, to start wiping or washing God with a brush, that's everything needs to be perfect and it needs to be just like this, this idea. You, you run into a big problem because when it's not perfect, when the human being becomes the human being, then all of a sudden you say, well, how, how did that rabbi do that? How dare that rabbi do that? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, so, so for example, the, let's say the, the one person that, that encounters, like, the bad rabbi, Hashem wanted that person to, for example. I don't necessarily agree with okay. that. Okay, or else, or don't you think Hashem would have sent him to you? No, I don't like, agree with example, that. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. We can't reason like that. I just, I, I just don't agree with that because the, you know in your own life, the person has complete free choice of where they're going to go and what they're going to do. They, they, there's a, there's a re- if there, I shouldn't give you free choice also. You have to... Yeah, but you don't know. Like, when you beat Belchuva, like, you go, you really, oh, Rabbi this or Rabbi this? Uh, free choice. Right. Yeah, absolutely free choice. But, but, but really... I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you the way I see it, okay? Because like, what, what Rabbi just said about, like, it's not perfect, pristine God. If, if you thought that that's... The problem is not with God. The problem is with our ideas about God, okay? That are sometimes misleading. And so what is, Israel is is the one who wrestles with God, okay? So there's a, there's a nice clue there. The clue is, you don't leave it to God, like oh, God said it, God decided, God decided. No, no, you have to wrestle with God in order to know God, okay? That's the idea of Israel. And so um, what, what, what I've seen in my life when people who just uh, like invoke God for everything, it's like, the problem is not with God, the problem is with our ideas of God. And so, it's, an, it, it, it's a great idea for someone who wants to be relieved of the burden and the responsibility of their own choices and their own actions. And so, you know, if, I, if I'm going to take an extreme example, if I just want to live in a way, you know what? I'm tired of thinking of all these questions. I'm tired of wrestling. I don't want to wrestle anymore. I want to chill. I just want to live the way I want to live. And that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to take it as it comes and I'm going to take it as it goes and I don't care anymore, okay? If I want to live that way, that way of living is perfectly compatible with the idea that, you know what, like, anyways, God wanted it this way anyways, right? 
It's right? Because it. otherwise... Why do, you have to go, why do you have to go into those extreme examples? No, no, like, because I don't think it's an extreme example. I don't think it's an extreme example. I just example. say, like, what, if you say this rabbi or this rabbi, well, then you go to the wrong right. rabbi, and then what you do, you're like, oh, this is the wrong rabbi, and then you go somewhere else. I'm not yeah. saying that person yeah, yeah, gets that's stuck part, there. That's part of your dream. I'm just saying... But, that, but that's free choice. I know, but I'm just saying Hashem wanted that person to on his journey to come across that bad rabbi. Okay, it's but, a bad but rabbi. what if, what if, what if, I don't know what bad rabbi, let's say rabbi, every rabbi is good, rabbi. but the, the, the rabbi that's not right for that person. Exactly. So let, let's say that person stuck and stayed there because the person's a creature of habit or the right. person went to that synagogue and for some reason there was some other reason, let's say uh, whatever it is, that that person stayed there and ended up getting stuck there. What ends up happening that, to that person? What is, as a result of that? You can end up staying there because you think, oh, you know what? God put me on this path of this person and that's it. I understand, but I understand. I'm just, I'm not, I was just saying, I was just proposing the idea that like, yeah, the person who goes sees the bad rabbi, like I'm not saying that he should stay there. I'm just saying Hashem wanted him to go through that process. Yes, but Hashem, perspective. But, but, yes. but, but Hashem also yes. wants that person to oh, have free I, choice. I have a question. Yeah. Exactly. You should be learning to make the choice to change. You should see that, so there, there's two ways. That there, it's very easy if you're an extreme person to wash things extreme. What do you mean? Hashem put me here. What do you want from me? Hashem put me here. This is where I'm supposed to be right now. Or you can say, okay, yes, it's true. I'm going to find the middle ground. Hashem put me here right now, but is it the best place for me? So yes, you keep wrestling. You, you, yes, it's true. Liana, what Liana is saying is true. Hashem put you there for your journey. But is it one minute of your journey or one year of your journey or a hundred years of your journey? But I think Liana agrees because she also says, you also say, Liana, that, yeah, you know, like God put me here in front of this bad rabbi, but I can change. I agree. I just wanted to, yeah. I just wanted to say that, that it's, ultimately, it's all, all, everything comes from Hashem and we can't, we can't like forget that. The, 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 there's another thing also. It's very interesting. There's, there's a people, the, the, there's a... There's a, recently, there was a rabbi who had a tremendous influence on a lot of people in the city who decided not to be religious anymore. Yeah. And so there's a couple, someone came to me this week. What? <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard of a couple of stories like that in yeah. my life, so I just told him, I said, I can guarantee more. <laughs> no, he's actually not, not a Moroccan. He's not a Moroccan. Ah, okay. He's not a Moroccan. This rabbi, this, this rabbi is not Moroccan. See? <laughs> you see, but... You caught me. <laughs> you know what we say? La Shona. Yeah. So, 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 the person, so the person came to me and said, I don't understand. I don't know what to do. I have a dissonance now in my life. This rabbi who, I, who, who was guiding me and, 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 and inspiring me is now decided. I can't understand how is it possible. I used to listen to this guy. He used to, was full of passion and excitement. And all of a sudden, boom, now gone. So best sermons. And so I turned to him and said, and that is why there's a Torah is a book and not a person. And that is exactly why the Torah is a book. Mm. Because he's still a human being. I'm not here to judge the choices that he made in his life. That's not my place to judge. I don't know why he did what he did. I don't know what's going on. I didn't get into his psyche and I, didn't, I never lived in his brain. I don't know what's going on in his life. But what I do know is that God was a smart God 
and made a Torah that's written, that's a book, and not a person. Because if it was a person, we'd be in big trouble. And don't look at the person, look at the book. Mm. That's huge. And, and let me just say, like, can you imagine like, a person who is not religious, completely unaffiliated with any religion, lives their life, and lives their life in a, in a limited way maybe, in a, in a narrow sort of pleasure-seeking or just comfortable way, okay? That person, when they're gonna move towards a more meaningful life with the help of some kind of a religion or a spirituality, okay? That person knows that, okay, I'm living my life in a limited way. Now I'm getting an awakening towards something else. At least that person knows that there's, there are some answers out there that I could go get. But can you imagine the chaos in somebody's mind and soul when they have gone to that place of religion and then from there, they decide, nah, you know what? Uh, I have my doubts here. It's a much more, it's, crazy. It, it, it's, it's a very profound level of, of doubt and chaos in that person. Absolutely. Can you Changing imagine that, that Can you imagine that, that rabbi, that person who decided to become non-religious, can you imagine his level of suffering and chaos and, I mean, that person needs uh, compassion. That person needs uh, something. You're not learning, you're a dealer. You know how, how isolated that person must feel? Like, that person needs to be listened. Like, that's where you need the good Jewish values of, uh, of like, helping someone. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's true. So, it, the, the point is, and getting back to our topic today, the rational mind's a very, very powerful mechanism. And that mechanism can be used for practically anything. That mechanism, the same mechanism that got inspired about Judaism, can now say, oh, this rabbi's da-da-da-da-da. Uh, it can justify anything. So it has to be, we have to constantly reanalyze and reevaluate and say to our rational mind, what's really going on here? What is our value system? What are our non-negotiables? What are the elements of our lives that are important and not important? What do I still have to study? Maybe I don't have the knowledge that is necessary in order to make this decision right now. So what information do I have to collect? What study do I have to do in order to get this this way? And the rational mind has a very good time, an easy time, just justifying things. You know, in, in the name of whatever it justifies. For example, um, it's amazing. I always, you know, the, the, for years, now there's a whole study on, on, on omega-3s. For years, they were saying omega-3 is the very important. People need fish oils. And all of a sudden, now there's a brand new study that just came out of Harvard. Yeah. Just was released a few days ago. That fish oils are not good for you anymore. Yeah, Gregor, Gregor mentioned that. Yeah, it's true. He said fish like, oil was a big... Like, sad. come on. Come on. And the truth is that I, I actually have an amazing, amazing nutritionist mentor that, I, that I've had for years, a doctor in Chicago. And she always said that the body cannot absorb fish oils. Mm -hmm. But the only thing, the, the way that you have to do is ferment the fish oil. Fermented fish oil is much easier for the body to absorb. And so I guarantee you that when they, if they really did do some more studies on it, they're going to find that she's probably right. It makes a lot of sense. Because I can tell you, when I used to have... When I, used, I take a fish oil capsule every single day, <clears throat> when I used to take a regular omega-3 fish oil capsule, it did nothing for me. I feel a huge difference with the fermented cod liver oil capsule. It's very hard. I had to, I had to call a company. I have a special, I, I, I get a special uh, uh, thing because the company was using um, gel caps. So they, so they use veggie caps for me and they send me uh, the fermented fish oil and veggie caps because to have it straight is such a bad, 
bad taste to something. Mm-hmm. It's very, very hard. So well, why am I saying this <laughs> all about <laughs> omega-3 and fish oils? Because I think it's really... It was presented under the guise of science. Because it's presented, and all of a sudden, yeah, tomorrow they decide. So that's keep... fine. We have to constantly, constantly know, what do I know and what don't I know? And, wh- how, and what is my guiding decision based on? Is it based on... What is it based on in, in, in my life? What is it not based on in my life? We have to be so, so careful. We have to be so careful to, to know and to know what we don't know and to know the limitations of our understanding. <laughs> Going back to our first class, right in the beginning, what a, what a true person who studies Jewish mysticism, who studies Jewish philosophy has to know is that I am limited. My knowledge... My, my, my understanding is limited to time and space. And I'll never be able to leave that until I leave this world. When I leave this world, I'll be beyond time and space. But while I'm in this world, while my soul is enclosed in a body, I'm limited to time and space. And whatever we talk about and whatever we discuss, I'm constantly, constantly needing to remember that I'm defined by time and space. And therefore, there's certain elements that I'll never truly understand. And that said... Whatever I can understand, it's my responsibility to delve into it and ask and to focus and to make sure to use my rational mind as much as possible. So I have a question, Rabbi. Oh, really? Is there a pizza? <laughs> Should I be sitting on the other side? Doesn't matter. It's okay. That is, I think, and that's the, that's the, that's the critical, critical understanding that we have to leave today. The rational mind is there for us to study Torah, to continue studying all these things, and to make sure to continue asking questions and to delve into it further and further and further, always knowing there's limitations to our understanding. Mm-hmm. And it's also the concept I see of making, a, making a, um, a dwelling place for God. The dwelling place for God will be, in the end, in the rational mind. That's right. It has to be. It has to be. It has to be because else? where are we? Where are we? We're not, in the, we're not in, the, in the physical body and we're not in the godly soul. We're not in the instinct. We're not in the animal. We're, we have to, we're the small city. The small city in, is the rational mind. Yeah, if you're diving in and dismissing your own mind by subscribing to blind faith, okay, you're not making a dwelling place for God in this world. That's right. That's right. Orot, orot and not enough kalim, right? There's too much light and not enough vessel. You have to make sure the vessel can hold the light. It's very important.